You're welcome. Pastor Kenny asked if I would do the response of reading this morning, and so if you could do the bold print, and I will do the fine print. So let's start this together. I, I'm first. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. He is the image. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with his mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Get rid. But Moses told the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Peace. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the pages of the Old Testament, where on each page there's illustrations of your deliverance of the nation of Israel. And then in the New Testament, we see our deliverance from sin because of the Lord Jesus Christ, his suffering, his death, burial and resurrection, and coming again. So, Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to have both testaments, to examine your great work on behalf of your people. May this message this morning that you placed on Pastor Kenny's heart speak to our hearts 
drawing us ever so closer to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Art. Well, it is good to be back. Uh, so good to see you all. Yeah, thank you for your prayers. I appreciate it. Uh, our family's doing so much better. We, we, for those of you who don't know, we had COVID uh, floating around our house. So much fun. And uh, we're doing better now. Appreciate your prayers. And I'm, I'll just be honest, I'm like a caffeinated squirrel right now. I just have so much energy. I, I can't even wait to jump into this. I, this is one of my favorite stories in the scriptures. Absolutely love the word of God. And this, where uh, Moses and the children of Israel uh, are led out of Egypt, and God, with a mighty hand, delivers them. I love this story. I love sharing this story. I love talking about this. I'm excited today to share it with you. I also like an illustration I heard years and years ago, uh, it's one of my favorite illustrations, and I also get to share that with you, and uh, here it is. Little Johnny and his family came home from church, and as they were eating dinner that night, little Johnny's dad said, little Johnny, tell me about Sunday school, what'd you learn? Well, little Johnny is an A student. Actually, he is a C student, but I make him an A student for this story. And he, with perfect recollection, was able to pull up what the teacher had said. And he shook his head. He said, Dad, I'm going to tell you the story about Moses, but you're not going to believe it. And he goes, well, well, son, try me. He said, okay, Dad, this is what my teacher told me. Egypt with a mighty hand, brought their army towards the children of Israel. And Moses, with a military mind, uh, sent out a series of RPGs. They were used to create distance, causing smoke and fire. It allowed for some guerrilla warfare where they were able to distract the Egyptian army by setting up some IEDs to allow the children of Israel to get into some rigid hull, inflatable boats, and go out to the battleship. Well, the children of Israel waited for the Egyptian army. As the smoke and the fire cleared, they too got on their boats. And as soon as they got on their boats, Moses, with Military precision struck the Egyptian army with a series of surface-to-air missiles, sinking the Egyptian army, and miraculously saving every Hebrew life. The dad said, did your teacher really say that? Little Johnny looked down at the table and shook his head. He said, no, dad, she didn't say that. But Dad, if I told you what she really said, you'd never believe it. <laughs> well, that's the story that we're jumping into today. This amazing story where God takes this uh, group of slaves out of captivity in the strongest superpower of the world and with a mighty hand delivers them from Egypt and into the promised land. And we're going to see this played out over the next few chapters. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go there. We're going to look at an overview of chapter 13 and 14 together. And then we're going to dig in to chapter 13 and 14. And what we're going to see is the miraculous hand of God. 
in, in a variety of ways, but one thing that I don't want us to miss is that there is this thread, this thread that connects this story of the freedom of the children of Israel to the New Testament. Not just to the New Testament, but also to the church, not, not just to the church in the early chapters of the New Testament, but, but also to us today. And we're going to see this strong connection as we walk through some terms together. We're going to talk about remembering and consecration. We're, we're going to talk about glory and giving it to God. And we're going to see this all woven because of Jesus the Christ, the connection to this story. It's miraculous and it's powerful. And here it is in overview. Chapter 13, the Lord speaks to Moses and tells him that the firstborn of all the Israelites, both man and beast, belong to him. Moses is commanded to consecrate every firstborn of the Israelites to the Lord. Let me me just uh, interject a couple of things right there. Uh, Firstly, that this idea of consecrate means to make holy. It's something that we can do individually. It's a, a statement that we can make. It's also a process that we can go through to consecrate something to the Lord. To take all of the options of uh, our lives or that of, our, uh, of the animals in this uh, section as well, and to narrow it. And we're narrowing it specifically for the use of God. That's what consecrating something is. Three. The Lord also tells Moses to remind the Israelites of how he brought them out of Egypt by his mighty power. I, I love that reminder. When, you're, when your children ask you, what are the meaning of the statutes of God? Tell them that God with a mighty hand delivered you out of Egypt and into the promised land. And that is still true today. We'll, we'll touch on it a little bit later. Also in chapter 13, the Lord commands Moses to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is to be a lasting ordinance. Uh, uh, Pastor Sam preached on that last week. Pastor Matt, the week before, touched on it a little bit. We, We are simply going to identify that it's brought up again in this chapter, and we're to remember. And we'll see this connection of Jesus as we remember. Chapter 14, the Lord speaks to Moses and tells him that Pharaoh will pursue the Israelites after they leave Egypt. How would you like that message? Hey, I'm going to deliver you. Oh, and by the way, that superpower is going to chase after you. They're going to think at one point it was good to have you gone and realize maybe we want to keep you after all. Moses, I think, says, oy vey. I'm not sure. (laughs) Two. The Lord assures Moses that he will gain glory for himself through the Israelites and and more specifically, uh, what God does in the lives of these Israelites as it relates to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the superpower. God is going to get uh, glory through what happens, how this plays out. Again, we'll talk in more detail about that. Three, Moses tells the Israelites to move on and camp by the sea where they will be protected by God. Pharaoh and his army pursue the Israelites, but the Lord causes the waters of the sea to divide, allowing the Israelites to pass through on dry land. Five, 
The Egyptians pursue the Israelites, but the Lord causes the waters to return and the Egyptians are drowned. The Israelites, and by the way, this is chapter 15. Number six is chapter 15. I was going to tie into that today, but because of time, we're not going to, but I'll go ahead and state it. Uh, The Israelites sing a song of praise to the Lord for his deliverance. Well, with that in mind, uh, let's, let's just jump into this and start connecting it to Jesus uh, because Jesus is the reason that we gather. Uh, Jesus is the purpose. He is the purpose that we come together. Uh, he is the one who stands victorious. And in the Old Testament, everything points to Jesus. In the New Testament, things point at Jesus. And where we are, we also point at Jesus, allowing God to have his work in our lives. Jesus is the reason that we gather. And if we miss that, we miss the point. In the Old Testament, these things occurred so that the nation of Israel wouldn't miss the Messiah when he showed up. These things now for us, we look back and we're able to see this clear thread that connects and weaves throughout the Old Testament, connecting Jesus in the New Testament and connecting us today. And so with that in mind, let's, let's just jump right in. Uh, in this section... I want to identify uh, two things. One is the term remember. So we are supposed to remember. Our minds are fixed on what God has done. We are to remember that. In the day when your children come to you and ask, what is with the ordinances of the Lord? You are able to tell them that God with a mighty hand delivered us. We're to remember what happened in the past where we have been as slaves to sin and death, and how God, with a mighty hand, has delivered us. Though that is speaking specifically to the children of Israel during a specific time in their national history, it also clearly connects with us that we too were slaves to sin and death, and that God, with a mighty hand, has delivered us. Let us not forget to tell that to our children. Remember is a term that we want to grab a hold of and, uh, and use. The next term is to consecrate or consecration, is to declare or make something sacred. In other words, the purpose of that instrument or person is to serve something specifically. In our context, that is God. What might that look like? Well, the idea of consecration is so unique and difficult for us to get in our culture that, ah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try something, okay? So uh, this is what I'm gonna try. I, I'm gonna identify uh, a few things. It, this has to deal with sports. Hang in there with me. If you're not a sports person, feel free to check out for the next five minutes. If you are a sports person, uh, hopefully you'll you'll get what I'm saying. I have to preface this, give some context around it. Don't boo me when I'm about to share, okay? So so let me start with that. Uh, secondly, football season has been done since about week five for me as a Packer fan. Okay, so I, I get that. No need to comment. Uh, the Super Bowl is today. I think there's an asterisk in my mind because uh, I don't care. <laughs> my team's not playing. I am, however, a Packer fan. And so on Sundays when the Packers are playing, oftentimes what I will do is get on my green and gold and 
uh, and uh, I, I have some Packers socks. Yep, I wear those when the Packers play because if I don't, they'll lose. Some people call that superstition, but that's only true if it doesn't work. I'm just kidding. It's superstition. It is untrue. The Packers, whether they win or lose, has nothing to do with me. Uh, but after, and in this case, there were many more losses than I care to admit. Afterwards, I would sit around with some of my friends and we would talk about it. Oh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers could have done this. Oh, why did they run so much when they have this? Blah, blah, blah. And we talk about it. But here's the thing. I don't play for the Packers. Like, I, I, I just am watching. I'm observing. But what I am doing is identifying that I am, I am clearly a Packer fan, but I'm not a Packer player. Like, I don't play for the team. That's where this illustration breaks down. To consecrate ourselves is, is to uh, put on Christ and also to be involved in the game. It's not just observational. It's not just attending on Sunday. It's not just using my gifts one time a week to consecrate something means that uh, we are, uh, our, our gift set is solely for the express purpose of God. We are serving him with our lives. And you can do that as a pastor, and you can do that as a plumber, and a teacher, and an electrician, and uh, a, 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 a homeschool teacher. Like All of those things are absolutely true. We can be consecrated for the purpose of serving the Lord in whatever area uh, occurs in our lives. Absolutely true. And so, with that in mind... It's important for us to identify this thread, this connection. The Lord claims the firstborn of the Israelites as his own and commands that they be consecrated to him. Now, here's the connection. In the New Testament, Jesus is revealed as the firstborn of all creation. Not just in Colossians 1.15, but also in Romans 8.29, in Hebrews 1.6, in Hebrews 12.23, in Revelation 1.5, as we're going to identify in just a moment. And lest we misunderstand what that means to be firstborn of all creation in a Hebraic way, it doesn't mean that he was literally the firstborn as if he were created. It means that he is preeminent. He is superior to all. It, it, it means that he surpasses all others. He is the firstborn of creation in that respect. And so we see that God is commanding the children of Israel to consecrate their firstborn. And what we see is that Jesus is the preeminent one. He is the superior one. He is the firstborn according to the scriptures. And he is offered to the Lord. He has consecrated his entire being to the Father's work. Two. Jesus is revealed as the firstborn from the dead. So it's not just uh, about his life, but it's also about him offering his life. That he is the firstborn from the dead, Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus is not just the firstborn 
of all creation, but he's also the firstborn of the dead. He is the preeminent one, additionally. And this is the key to Jesus being preeminent as the firstborn. That he is also referred to as the Lamb of God, John 1.29, who takes away the sin of the world. And his death on the cross is seen as the ultimate consecration to God. He was willing to give his life that we could have life. Now here's the connection. Because Jesus has consecrated himself to the work and the will of the Father and is willing to not just give his life but also offer his life on the cross, we too have life in him as we surrender to him. Meaning this. That when we surrender to Christ, we are indeed consecrating ourselves to the Lord. We are saying, Lord, my life, all of the things I could do, all of the things I could be about, I am putting on Jesus. I am robed and clothed in him, and my life is consecrated. It's set apart for the sacred use of you. You, oh Lord, you have your work in my life. And that's the connection it's important for us to not miss, to grab a hold of. And we recognize that the Lord's work is done. It's completed. One of the reasons that this is significant is because throughout the Old Testament, there are a series of times where the children of Israel are told to consecrate themselves. And why is that? Well, the, the reason that that is is because sometimes life happens and you forget. Sometimes you're caught up in the moment and you do stupid stuff. I know that's not true for anybody else but me, but okay. You do dumb things. You walk in fear, not faith. You're no longer consecrated for the work of the Lord, but you have opened yourself up for other things. So, very practically, what I am about to share with you uh, affirms our submission to God and reminds us of this work of God in our life. Very practical. Recognizing a few things. The culture that this is written to is different than the culture today in many ways. One of those ways is that we in the West are really good at compartmentalizing. We, we do things like, okay, this is my work life, this is my home life, this is my life in my neighborhood, and there are three different things, and yeah, there are some things that weave them together, maybe, but they're compartmentalized and we think about them differently. That would not have been the case throughout the scriptures, that, that it is just one uh, uh, continuity. This life uh, continues consistently. It's all one. So let me talk about consecration. Uh, about a month ago, as Matt and I began to talk about this passage and, and work through this series, I saw this idea of consecration. And I started to practice something that I want to share with you, and I want to strongly encourage you, even challenge you to participate in. And it's a daily consecration. And this is how it works for me. In the morning, recognizing that, again, I'm, I live a life that is compartmentalized. I wish that weren't true, but I know that it is. And so this is what I do. When I wake up in the morning, I say, Lord, I consecrate my life to you. Lord, 
consecrate my brain to you. That I would think thoughts that are about you. Lord, I consecrate my eyes to you. That I would see you at work around me and in me and even through me. This one sounds a little weird hanging there with me, but I consecrate my nose to you. That when sin is present, it would smell like death to me. That when faith is present, it would smell like the aroma of Christ to me. I, did it. I consecrate my ears to you, Lord, that I would hear your word and respond in faith to you. I consecrate my mouth to you, O Lord, that I would taste and see that the Lord is good. That the words that I speak would be words of life that honor you. I consecrate my hands to you, Lord, that I would serve others and that by the power of your spirit, uh, you would work through me. I consecrate my feet to you, O Lord, that I would be quick to follow and obedient where you lead me. I consecrate my life to you. Amen. That's how I start my mornings. And I, I want to tell you that it has had a tremendous impact in my life just over the course of the last month. An example. I could give you many. I'll give you one. Facebook. Uh, I, I know. Some of you are like, oh, dear Lord, here we go. Uh, have mercy. Okay. Uh, Facebook. I'm on Facebook and I'm scrolling through it and uh, I see something that is, mm, uh, I don't agree with. I'll just say it that way. I, like, I, I'm not on Facebook a lot and this is so rare, but that day I was so like, oh, I want to give it to them. You ever been there? Like, this is clearly just dumb. And I want them to know that. And I kind of want to stick it to them. Have you ever been there? Maybe that's just me. Okay, that's fine. I'm confessing to you, I guess. Well, I was in that moment. And before I did anything, I had this just this thought that went through my mind. No, you've been consecrated to the Lord. And that, that's not why I created your hands to respond that way. That's not why you set your mind apart to think those thoughts. Let it go. It's real time. We're watching TV. Is this what we should be watching? I consecrated my mind to you. I consecrated my eyes to you. Is this what I should be watching? I want to tell you that this consecration has had a profound effect on me, and I want to encourage you with it as well. As uh, I stated earlier, I am a Packer fan. My, uh, my son married a woman, and um, how do I want to say this? They're unequally yoked, but not in their faith. <laughs> they love Jesus, but they're unequally yoked. Uh, you saw Lily uh, on the video just before that. Lily's my daughter-in-law. My son married. He is a Packer fan. She is a Viking fan. They're unequally yoked. It's really sad. I'm kidding. Settle down. Relax. Uh, but one of my favorite things to do is when Lily wears green, I go, looks like you're starting to come over to the good side, Lil. She's like, why is that, Kenny? Well, it's subtle, but I see what's going on with the green you're wearing. She doesn't appreciate it. I think it's fantastic. Uh, also, she may never wear green again because of what, 
what has happened in our household. And why am I sharing that? I'm sharing that be, because green in our home reminds us of the Packers. Uh, it just does. For some of you who are Viking fans, purple does that for you. For Vikings, like we, we get that. There is symbolism that we connect with automatically, intuitively, when we connect with symbols. Uh, and, and so I don't want to miss that. Uh, because also in chapter 13, the Lord commands the Israelites to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread as a lasting ordinance and reminds them of how he brought them out of Egypt with his mighty power. Uh, in just a couple of months, there'll be an opportunity perhaps for you to participate uh, in a Seder, a Passover Seder in your home. Um, we, we don't have anything scheduled at the church, but perhaps that's something that you would like to do. We want to encourage you uh, to do that. Also, uh, every week we participate in communion, and that is a reminder. But why is that? Well, here's why. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a reminder of the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt, prefigures Christian sacrament of communion, which is a reminder of Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, there are a couple of terms up on the screen that I want to identify, because if you've been in the faith community for a while, you maybe are reading those and going, well, uh, what does that mean? Here are the terms. Ordinance. We often use the term ordinance, meaning two things. We are referring to the ordinance or order of baptism and communion. So we believe that we have been ordered or commanded by the Lord to participate in that practice of baptism and communion. We also believe that God's word is true, that he never leaves us or forsakes us. We believe that Jesus meant what he said when he said, I will never leave you, uh, even unto the end of the age. So we know that Jesus is present. How he is present, I'm not sure. It's a mystery. And we pause there and say, yep, God is a mystery. If I could explain him, I would be God. Turns out I'm not God, so I can't explain him. He's a mystery. But he is present. An ordinance reminds us of that. A uh, sacrament, some churches use in different ways. I recognize that. I, I, I want to identify that. But what we're talking about uh, when we say sacrament in our church, in general terms, we mean this. It's a Christian rite or practice that identifies something that is important and significant. And mysteriously, God is present. That's what we mean by sacrament in our church. We do not mean that it has any salvific properties. In other words, we don't participate in communion because that gives us salvation. We don't, we're not baptized because that gives us salvation. That's not what we mean when we use these terms, though some churches do. Just want to clarify that. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a reminder of the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt, prefigures the Christian sacrament of communion. In other words, this idea uh, of this Passover Seder that I mentioned earlier, this feast that is identified here, Jesus uses and introduces communion to followers. In other words, he says, you, you don't have to wait till once a year to practice this. This is a part of our regular rhythm. Continuing on, and we're going to talk more about this next week, 
with Jesus, but Jesus is seen as the bread of life in John 6.35, who came to bring salvation and deliverance from sin. When we practice communion, when we practice the ordinance of communion, we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood was shed, that we could have life. For anyone who calls on him would be saved. That's a part of the reason that we practice this memorial of communion. We're participating with Christ. We remember that we are to participate with Christ. And that this participation with Christ is a reminder that we were sinners. We were slaves to sin, actually. And that God, with a mighty hand, delivered us. That he was willing to go to the cross for my sins, for your sins. That he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the grave because he has power over sin and over death. And anyone who enters into him has everlasting life. We remember that. We love that. We embrace that. As we move into chapter 14, we're going to be introduced to a term glory. Glory is a phrase that we have used uh, here several times and, and talked about a few times. Glory is a word that means weight. That doesn't really translate well in our head, right? Like, okay, God's weight? Does that mean God is heavy set? Nope, that's not what we mean. But in the ancient days, the way that they identified value is they would put something on a scale and then they would put gold or silver on the other side until it evened out. The weight of that gold or silver uh, or, uh, identified the value of that thing. Weight is glory. So glory is something that is identified uh, as the value of a thing. God is going to talk about his glory in this passage. I'm sorry, throughout this chapter. The Lord assures Moses that he will protect the Israelites and gain glory for himself through them. And, and even more specifically, through what God is going to do through the Egyptians. Okay, so because he's going to defeat the armies of Egypt using the nation of Israel, God is going to be glorified. His value is going to be seen and better understood. Uh, that's an important piece. And if you're going, wait a minute, I don't really understand how that works. Well, uh, let me give an illustration. Earlier I shared uh, about football. So for those of you who are like, oh, no more sports illustrations. Okay, deal. Let's talk about something else. Um, I'm going to nerd out for, uh, for just a moment. Uh, I, grew, I grew up around comic books and around Marvel and DC superheroes. Uh, I love that stuff. Uh, it's fun for me. One of my oldest sons started collecting comic books. I didn't know much about collecting them. I, I understood the storylines and, and that sort of stuff. So there's been a lot of education. So I will tell you that I have an action comic, 409, that is worth $5. Uh, it has Superman in it. But the highest grossing uh, comic book is Superman number one. Has the same character. Superman number one. Superman number one uh, went just uh, about a year ago for $5.3 million. 
It sold $5.3 million, 1939 copy. Uh, the, the way that they grade it, it was an 8.0. That, that's pretty good. $5.3 million. But I have the same character 409 episodes later worth $5. Well, why is that? Well, there are a few things. One, it's a key, uh, meaning there's a first appearance or the first of something. The author matters to it. The artist matters to it. And value is given based on those things, not just the age of it. There, there are a variety of reasons why a comic will go for uh, more money. Its value, its glory, is worth more based on some things. God creates humans in his own image. Each of us are uniquely first appearances imprinted by the author and also the artist of God. When we give our lives as an offering to God, we are giving God our value. In other words, God is gaining this value. And Jesus reveals that uh, in the New Testament, Jesus is revealed as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Moses protects Israel. Jesus gives life. Giving our lives to Jesus gives the Father glory, value. People go, wait a minute. I remember what a mess you were. Uh, you were a hot mess. And God has done something in your life. There is clearly a change. What is going on? God has done something in your life. And suddenly, God gets the glory. And the value is given to God in those places. We're going to highlight a few things as we move on. Jesus is revealed as the author and finisher of our faith who guides us to salvation and glory. The, the reason that that's significant, again, is that Jesus has done all the work. It's not based on you. It's not based on me. Jesus has done all of the work. It is now a matter of us surrendering, consecrating ourselves in Christ to give him that glory. Jesus is seen as the one who brings salvation through his death and resurrection. In other words, it, it, it's not uh, what I have done. It isn't, it's not the things that I've accomplished. It's not how much money I have or the family that I was born into or how many times I'm baptized in a tank. None of that, or where I was baptized, none of that is where salvation comes through from salvation is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. He is the ultimate deliverer. And so uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time here. The crossing of the Red Sea is a figure of the believer's baptism in Jesus. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Uh, we'll see that. Which is a, sacrament, uh, a sacrament, rather, a, a place where we see the importance and significance of the presence of God, of deliverance from the power of sin and death. And it's also a figure of the believer's final salvation and deliverance in eternal life. Again, it's, it's a figure. It's a picture. Baptism isn't salvation. It's a picture of that salvation. And if you would have eyes to see it, I want to encourage you to consider what's happened with Israel. 
this Exodus 2 starts off with what? Israel is growing, is becoming big in Egypt. And what does Pharaoh do? He decides to murder the boys that are born to the Hebrew women. God uniquely spares many, though not everyone escapes. And yet, Israel continues to grow. Fast forward, chapter 14, if you have eyes to see it. The water breaks. There is a canal that the children of Israel pass through and newness of life on the other side is given. There is a birth of God's special nation, Israel, that we see in this passage. And that Jesus uniquely and specifically offers baptism as a way of experiencing him, that the waters break and that we come up through the canal, new creation, new in life. Again, it's a symbol. It's not where we get our life. That comes from Jesus. It's a symbol. It's a reminder. But it is a beautiful reminder of the new birth that has occurred. And baptism is a picture of that. And Jesus uniquely, specifically, and completely fulfills that. What happens in the tank is really what happens to us spiritually dying to self, the waters break, we come up in newness of life, spiritually. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to walk through a few questions together. What does it mean for me to claim Jesus as my guide and to wear the mark of consecration. In other words, I'm wearing Jesus. What does that mean? How can I daily trust and follow Jesus more closely? I want to encourage you. When you wake up in the morning to consecrate your mind, your eyes, your nose, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet, your life to the Lord. Daily. At night when you go to bed, Lord, I consecrate my rest to you. I want to encourage you to do that too. Whoops. Two, how can I remember and observe the feast of unleavened bread in my life as a reminder of my deliverance and obedience to God? Remembering that you can participate in your home. Uh, a, a messianic Seder, uh, Passover Seder is a great way to do that. There will be an opportunity in your homes to do that in a couple of months. Also, each week when we participate in communion, we are reminded of this. We were slaves to sin and death. And God, with a mighty hand, has set us free. As the worship team comes out, let me deal with these uh, next couple. How can I trust in Jesus as my guide and follow his instructions, even when I am afraid of the obstacles that I am facing? My glory is given when I trust Jesus, despite the obstacles in my life. They're, we're all going to face them. We all have them. But how do I trust Jesus in that place? And how do I give God that glory? Finally, how can I sing a song of praise to Jesus for his great power and mercy in my life? How can I give glory to him through my salvation? And how can my 
baptism be more than a symbol of the deliverance from sin, death, and slavery, and a reminder of my identification with Jesus in his death and resurrection. What we're talking about here is for those who have been baptized, that it's not just a one-day event, like, yep, I was baptized, check it off the list, I'm done, but rather that we are, with our words and with our deeds, living out that baptism, that I am born again, sharing our testimony. Here is one that I would encourage you with. Earlier I mentioned Facebook, but you can do it on basically any social media platform. Would you be willing to do something like this? On that social media platform, simply stating, I received Jesus as my Savior on, insert the date. For me, November 3rd, 1991. And then, to put this question behind it, when did you? And just see what happens. Just see what people do. Uh, For some, there may be a, a negative response, but I think that's going to be very little. Most will have a positive response, and it's a great opportunity for you to live this out. Friendship Church, we practice communion by coming down, by taking some time and, first of all, asking the question, am I a follower of Jesus? Have I received Jesus as my Savior? Communion is for the believer. And then, to say, is there any unconfessed sin? If there is, to confess that sin and repent, to turn away from the sin and turn towards God. And we can do that even in our chairs as we seek the Lord. And then, you're free to go to the tables going down the carpeted areas to the, session, to the station that is nearest you and getting both the bread and the cup. And at the end of the next song uh, together, Pastor Art will lead us in communion and offering. Would you join me as we pray? Lord God, we love you and we need you. We thank you for your word and that it's true. Be exalted, O Lord, and be lifted up. And as we dealt with a lot of things today, Help us to remember your work, to consecrate ourselves to you and in you, to give you all the glory that's due your name. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.